listening to Get Real KC with Jen and Eric. Kansas City's consumer-facing real estate podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Get Real KC, where we are overflowing with a passion for all things real estate. I'm Eric Jurgensen. And I'm Jen Justice. And today in studio, we have with us the our favorite closer from Alliance Title, Amber Jarman. Amber, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It is it is really, really cool that you're going to be here. And I know we've already kind of... Going to be here. She's here. Yeah, that's <laughs> I've good, been here. Good, good point. You're uh, going to be here, Amber. You're, you're going to be, be here. Yeah, I didn't know that, but you, you, you may not know it, but you're going to be here. No, I mean, a title is one of those sort of mysterious things for a lot of our clients. And uh, to have you in here as an expert to help us kind of... Uh, clear up some of that mystification, demystify it a little bit, and uh, and then really let people understand when they start talking about their title companies, um, w- all the important things that you do in a, a home sale or a home purchase transaction. So I, I'm just very excited about it. Let's jump right in and let's give our listeners an overview of like just topically what you do, uh, what what you typically do. There's a lot of things, just like in a real estate contract, sometimes we have a lot of different things going on, but let's talk about sort of the norm. Uh, and I like to break it down into sort of two theories. One, there's the actual title work that's getting done. And then you provide in the Kansas City area, uh, uh, you specifically, but, but title companies in general, some very important administrative functions as well. Uh, handling money and whatnot. So. Yes, with title insurance, there's it's two two parts: the title insurance, the policy, the actual searching the property for judgments, liens against the people, and then also the closing side, where we actually handle all the money, the transfer of title, the legal documents. So it's two completely like separate. Right. So let's jump into the the boring part first, right? The, the boring part is probably the actual title search. No, that's not the boring part. <laughs> let's go to the other side, right? To me, that's the that's the coolest part that you do that nobody really understands. The actual closing and dealing yeah, with that's, curative that's, issues. That's, that's boring. That's you know, I mean, it's exciting in the moment. She likes it because that's where she gets to see some cool people. Well, that's true. So, yeah. well, honey, you get to see me. No, oh, okay, I get it. But during the boring title search, it's just digging through all of these documents and. It, places and so on my end I get the title commitment which is the report of the property and it's my job to read through that and see if there are any issues that have arisen with the search of the property and also the people sometimes there'll be deaths people die and then how the property is transferred to their heirs and then just judgments and liens people's unpaid tax bills so let's let's divorces those get, get, a, get a frame problems. of that right when you let's say you're a buyer in this case and you want to buy this home um, what you what a title company will do is they will provide insurance right we call it title insurance and that is ensuring that the deed to the house which is the document of ownership of that house which has a lifetime in it um, it goes all the way back to I, I don't know. I'm sure you look at Jesse this. James. No, I'm just yeah. Playing. Well, even even that when 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 uh, when the property was divided and 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 given private property ownership Abs- rights. Abstract. Yes, the yeah. abstracts were the first title searches back when the presidents actually signed off on transfers of 
Oh, my. So you go back and you make sure that there are no claims or judgments. Liens, encumbrances. We call those, we will, and if they show up, we use the term clouded. The title is clouded sometimes, right? Correct. And also, um, I would just say quick claim deeds. A lot of people like to use quick claim deeds just to add somebody to title or take them off. Those are technically uninsured deeds. So they don't always... And they're not usually correct. People go in and get a copy of a blank deed themselves. And right. they try to fill in the names, the party's names themselves, and they don't put marital status. In Missouri and Kansas, it's a marital interest state. So if you're transferring any type of real estate, you have to have your spouse execute that document. Or it's null and void. You have to go find them. If that spouse did die, then you have to deal with their heirs. So typically you want to transfer title with a general warranty deed and have either a title company prepare it for you or a real estate attorney because people handwrite in their legal descriptions. It's wrong. They'll leave parties off. They'll do the names wrong. So that's just one of the issues. But back to what I do, once I get the contract, the title report, then we also handle all the money. So the earnest money when it comes in and then we work with the real estate agents handling the home warranties, all the numbers in the contract. It's our job to review all the numbers, make sure all the figures line up. Then we coordinate with the lender to make sure all of their fees are reflected on the closing statement. So it's just it's basically working with everybody to make sure all the parts come through together. So let's pick one, and, and we'll just start where you started. right? Let's start with that title search. And you started to rattle off a whole bunch of different things that can, you know, commonly can, can be issues with a title search. And the one you mentioned at the end there was a marital status, which is kind of funny because uh, I constantly get asked by clients, why are you writing you know, AMC or ASP or writing out a single person? Why does this matter? It matters quite a bit because, again, marital interest state. One to buy, two to sell. But if you're selling a property, you're the only one that owns it, but you're married. Your spouse still has to sign off on that deed. So we need to know that you're married because they can come back later. Even though they weren't on title, they have interest in that. So they could claim so money. I buy a house right, uh, by myself. Then later on, I get married. Now my spouse, spouse has, interest. has interest in that house. Even if before I sell the house, right, we separate. Right Now, if we get divorced... There's a good chance, there's a high likelihood that that divorce decree deals with the separation of property. Yes, and when someone files a divorce decree, that's a public record in the court documents. So we know if there's a pending divorce or if there's been finalized and the title company has to review the divorce decree, it's our job to make sure that everything is fulfilled through the divorce decree. So if you owe this, your spouse money, we will make sure that it's been paid. So that that's a big deal. And sometimes I know uh, I'll, I'll get kind of, you know, raised eyebrows when I ask somebody, I say, you know, what what's your marital status? And None of your business. Exactly. Right. Well, also, it is in a real estate uh, transaction, friends. Common law does not is not recognized in Missouri and Kansas. So just because you've been with someone seven, ten years, that doesn't automatically give them any right. Well, think, rights think to the television property. for that theory, right? Correct. I mean, it may be in other states, but Kansas and Missouri, it's, it does not apply. So, making sure that your marital status and that um, any divorces that have happened while the property has been owned, et cetera, all of those are uh, well known, taken care of. Divorce decrees are, it, it's just easier if you supply those for the title company. So, as a realtor, I frequently ask for them or at least tell them that, you know, if you don't want to give it to me, that's fine. 
but the the title company is going to need to see it, or they'll have to go pull it. And deaths, bankruptcy, all right. These as things I say, let's talk about a couple of other things as right. well. Yes, if you have a credit card judgment filed against you in the circuit court, that is going to attach to your real estate. If you haven't paid your personal property taxes, federal Missouri, we're going to find out about that. That attaches to your real estate. And when we say attaches to the real estate, that means one of two things. Attaches to title. Right, which is is that when you sell the house, the first part of those proceeds will pay that off. Absolutely. If right. they have not been. Right. right. Or you pay it off yourself before before the, the transaction closes. At the point that that's happening, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. If you know, if you're already under contract and you know you've got some issues out there, it's better to let us. If you're in negotiations with the IRS to get a lower payoff, that's fine. But once the title gets involved, the contract's written, it's best to let us get the final payoff so that we're not pending, holding up closing, waiting for documents to come in. Right, because the government doesn't necessarily, particularly with tax liens, they're not, they don't update on a minute-to-minute basis. There's not somebody you can call and go, what's the, what's the balance today? No, right, so. it's probably like a four-hour wait to call and try and get a payoff statement from them. So, yeah. so um, there are other encumbrances on a title uh, that, again, you guys search for and make sure the title's clean uh, or point out. And some of those are about um, other people having use. Like, And one of the things that's interesting is- Easements? Yeah, well, sh- uh, and particularly uh, one that we run into in various parts of the city uh, is shared driveway. Yes, shared driveway easements, yes. Yeah, so talk about that. How does that show up on a title and what does it mean? Well, it is a legally drawn document that is signed, notarized, and recorded, so it's a public record at the courthouse. So it's notifying anyone that wants to buy that property or sell it that this person- legally has access to this driveway and it is shared. You can have them dissolved, but again, all parties would have to be in an agreement to that. So everything is of public record, filed at the courthouse, so that anybody can go in at any time and pull those records. Um, what are some other uh, um, physical access style encumbrances besides a shared driveway that you run into? Party wall agreements, but those are more for um, duplexes and condos. Otherwise, utility easements, we see those. Yeah, true. That's not, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, because like I've run into situations where uh, we're looking at something that has a whole lot of property, but underneath are main water lines or main uh, uh, natural gas lines, and the utility companies have easements, and you can't build there. That's yeah. In this in the city, that's every single property has utility easements for the water. That's just. Well, I'm talking about like, like the like the, the the big carrier lines to go from. Uh, I've just I ran into a property uh, in Raytown where um, I I hadn't even looked at it, and it was um, I'm going to get this wrong because I I should have looked this up before the podcast. But they weren't uh, lines to a house or anything. They were lines yes. to one of their facilities, so they're they're much larger. They're much deeper. Uh, they were put in a long time ago, but. They couldn't build, you know, you couldn't build anything in the back half of their very large lot because these lines ran through there. So, yeah, and to even find out about exactly where those are, it's that's not something we provide right off the bat. I mean, it's just pretty much general exceptions to the utility easements, but right, we don't have access to that right off the bat. I mean, we can get them from the courthouse and show you the maps and they'll do the legal description of exactly where it lies. Right. Most people don't even think to ask about that. Right, when you're I buying mean, a house though. When you buy a house on a tight lot and there's overhead power lines, uh, the, there's easements there that you know you, I can't extend my porch out because it's too close. You know, so there's all kinds of easements that you have to worry about. 
Um, another situation that I want people to be aware of that Title helps find out is, um, and you and I, Amber, have gone through this on uh, on a couple of properties. But when somebody buys something on a tax sale, yeah. and so uh, let's uh, break that down because um, when you buy something on the courthouse steps. Okay, let's phrase for a tax sale because there's different foreclosures on the courthouse steps. That this would be different. So I want to clarify that in case anybody is like, well, I bought this at the courthouse steps. It wasn't like that. Foreclosure is different than tax sale. Right. Tax sale is a sale specifically because somebody has not paid their taxes. Right. There's a whole process that goes. Uh, at least county by county, it might be city by city, um, where, you know, what notifications they have to do to that person and, and how they have to, et cetera, et cetera. But at some point they go, okay, that's we're done. We're going to sell this property off to pay the taxes. And most title companies will not insure tax sales. So the ones at the courthouse steps, the city, the county hasn't really done a whole lot of work to clear any title issues. They send out public notifications through the newspaper the old-fashioned newspaper. That's how they notify the public if they have any interest against that property. All the county is doing is making sure those taxes are paid. If there's mortgages, first and second mortgage against the property, if there's homes association liens, they don't Employment tax liens. I mean, remember that one you and I looked at? It had like, what, a million and some odd dollars of all of that? And I think you told me that was as much as you'd ever seen before. Federal judgments and liens. Yes, they don't clear any title issues. They're, they may sell they it just, to you for 30000 but there may be 200000 in debt still against the property. And so you need to be working with... You, you know, can a, do an, a, get a title report from right, a title company. It's right. not We're not going to insure it, but we'll at least do the mm-hmm. search on the property just to let you know judgments or liens against the prior owner. Right. Or the property. Just and that they're probably just going to fall on the property for, say, at least 10 years. Yes. At least. They can, they, yeah, they can. And they can renew them. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it, So let's talk about that 10-year rule because a lot of people who dabble in this understand that 10-year rule. So in Missouri, there's a Missouri statute that says um, that if you're going to – well, hang on. We're talking about two different things. I want to talk about the right of reclamation. So how uh, – if – if you if the if the county has sold off my property for tax uh, um, failure to pay taxes, property gets sold. There's a period of time where me as the original owner can actually reclaim that. Can actually right. redemption redemption, redemption period. Uh, yes. Did I say reclamation? You did. I mean, it's the, re- it's the property owner's redemption rights. So there's a period there where that where. <clears throat> Yes, I lost the property, but in, uh, I have. If I want to go pay all the taxes and all the fees, I can get the property back. And interest, yes. I think that's only a year or two that they have the right to. It's in come Missouri. Back on it's that. only a year. One year. Yeah. And they get any improvements. So for those people, yeah. and we're going off on a different tangent here, guys. But um, if they made any improvements to that property in that year, they don't necessarily have right. to get repaid for those. So but, there's so many risks to buying the tax sale, which I think Eric's had a couple of clients find out kind of the hard way. They thought they were getting a really good deal, but oh, whoa, whoa, you can't really sell it. And this is a problem and that's a problem. And then lo and behold, title can't even insure it. So there's all of these pieces that go with tax sale that people need to understand if they were even thinking about getting into that. I would agree. I would say for the general public, buying property off the courthouse steps is probably not you. You pretty you need to be pretty business savvy and know what you're doing. I would get an attorney involved in the front end of that because there are ways to clear those titles. They are very expensive. They involve a court process. They involve paying an attorney, and it's still going to take. Uh, I think it's about 
three to five years, it still takes a long time because the court system is very slow. And as Amber alluded to, they notify people the old fashioned way, because even when you get the attorney involved, that's how they're notifying people the old fashioned way. And I think the publication number on that is a minimum of six weeks. So lots to do on a tax sale. But so when we talk, I digress. Yeah, when we well, so th- that was probably a good education for people who are, have heard or think, hey, buying mm-hmm. things off the courthouse steps is a great idea. Uh, and I don't think we'll dive into foreclosures. Maybe we'll do a whole uh, podcast about that because they're 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 worthy of a, more than a couple of minutes in terms of discussion. But um, title searches in general can reveal all of these crazy things, and we go to title companies who are who are the experts at doing this search. Now, when the search is done, right, they will determine whether or not they're going to insure that title or not. But uh, and and, it's, and that's what we want, right? We want title insurance. When we buy a house, we want to make yes, sure that um, that the title is clean and that somebody will provide insurance to, should something come up. During that, and you've already mentioned this, but while that happens for for a seller, what you provide is something called a title commitment. Yes, that's just the preliminary search of the property, and that's very important for the buyer as well. They want to know, and it's everything that is a public record, so it's legal for us to show. What judgments are against that person or their property? But that'll tell you right off the bat what issues you're up against. If there's unreleased prior mortgages, there's other owners that maybe didn't get deeded off the property. A lot of times people, when they're entitled as a husband and wife, one person will pass and then they'll do a quick claim deed to add somebody else. But they never make mention of what happened to that one person that was entitled. So if you, if you ever have, you know, your parents are entitled, one dies, you want a quick claim deed to add someone to title you have to do what's called a death recital to say what happened to that person. Also getting off on that subject, I think it's important to talk about kind of estate planning when people do buy a property because there's lots of tenancy selections that you. Well, yeah, I definitely want to get into that. Let's, let's stay for a moment with that. Title cleanup. That commitment (laughs) because that commitment, right. And uh, it, it goes out and it's in, well, first of all, who do you send the commitment to? The, I send it to the real estate agents. If I'm provided the contact information for the seller and buyer, we'll send it to them as well. But typically, it's the agent, seller, buyer, and then the lender. So your agent should be the. You may get this too, or you may you can request it from the agent if you didn't get it directly. But they're going to get this commitment, and the commitment is a multi-page document that, kind of like a contract, has a various amount of legalese on it. And so your realtor needs to be versed in reading these commitments. And if there's something on them that they don't understand, they need to be contacting the title company and saying, hey, what's going on? Um, and we're going to come back to that that relationship between your realtor and your title company because that's, that's an important thing that we're going to come back to. But this commitment will happen after you go under contract as title does the search. So when you start talking about all and this— And Amber's thing, really fast at it. Yeah. Mm. When, you, when you start talking about all the things between— contract and close we talk about inspections we talk about appraisals very seldom do we we remember to mention title commitments a huge portion of this Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so they're absolutely fantastic to have so we've got the title commitment now um and now let's go where you were headed which is now let's you know for the example my wife and i are buying a house uh, now we're ready to buy the house. So we come to a title company typically in, in, in Kansas and Missouri, and um, we sign 
stacks and stacks of documents. We'll, we'll kind of break down some of the basic theories of those. But one of the things we do is we sign the documents to deed the house in our name. But there's more than one way to take that title, to deed that house, isn't there? Well, yes. And there's also husband and wife buy a property or two single people buy a property. So mm-hmm. there's three types of ways to take title. Joint tenancy, which is typically more for two single people. That gives them rights of survivorship. So if anything were ha- to happen to one person, their half interest would go to the other person in title. Then there's tenants in common, which is you can do husband and wife or married couple this or single people this way, but that's if one party dies, their half interest goes to their heirs. So that means the other person that they bought that property with now only owns 50% of the real estate. So that second half is going to the heirs. And then there's tenants by entirety, which is in strict restricted only to husband and wife, and that is the same as joint tenants with rights of survivorship. Right. But also, you do that to protect your property, so if your your spouse dies, you, you receive their property right off the bat. If you don't do a selection of tenancy and you leave it blank, then when that person dies, then they have to go to probate too. So the courts have to determine who all the heirs are and who's supposed to get what. So it's also very important when you buy a house to do some kind of an estate planning. You need to either do a beneficiary deed, with it, which is a simple transfer on death. It's the cheapest, easiest one to do. Or put your property into a trust. A will does not always... You still have to go to probate even if you have a will. Mm-hmm. So you really want a beneficiary deed or put your property into a trust. Because otherwise, your will is still going to have to go to probate. And that's very expensive. Right. And, and lengthy. Right, we just we just did one of those as well, right? Where we were, I was representing. Well, I guess we, because yes. technically they're the your estate. client as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and uh, we were representing uh, uh, a um, an estate. The executor was uh, one of the children, um, and this particular property, uh, the 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 owner died two years before. That was one of that was dad. Uh, but uh, that was the one where the attorney did a probate on the estate, yeah. but forgot to mention this particular piece of property. So he owned multiple properties right. in two different states, and they just neglected to uh, add this one property to the probate. So the the probate court is going around saying, okay, you can do this, you can do that to the executor, and they don't even technically know that this house is part of the estate. So that has to be dealt with. <clears throat> Then the court has to uh, allow them to sell it. The court has a lot of requirements about um, getting appraisals and this, that, and the other. And then so it took us quite a while to get through that. And there was a lot of work and effort in it, uh, which could have been solved had they even even had they just uh, deeded a t- uh, deeded it correctly to say nothing of um, uh, some of the other you know going into a trust or something more like that. So I think for single, it's very important for single individuals that are entitled by themselves. To definitely do a beneficiary deed or a trust, because that's that's what one of the number one issues is when it's only one person, what happens to their their property? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so we'll we'll jump over to that other side now, because I want to walk people through. Because uh, you're pretty excited, right? You've made an offer on a house, you've got the house, and um, you uh, say, okay, we're going to close, right? That's the we call you a closer, right? Mm-hmm. You, so you, you're going to close and well, the most common scenario is somebody has a loan involved. And so if we think about all the pieces that have to happen at that close, right? You have been told that you're bringing some money to the table and you have to bring that in certified funds or do a wire transfer beforehand. 
uh, you your lender has got a lot of documents that they're going to want you to sign for the loan, and then that money has to show up somehow uh, and get transferred to the person who's selling you the home. And then there is all of this deed stuff we're talking about, right? Where uh, and by the way, that is is required to be recorded in the county where the home is. So this is part of what you do, which has nothing to do with title insurance, which is what you know the the real um, uh, meat and potatoes of what title companies do. But yet you're doing all this other stuff for us to make it so seamless. Now. Yeah, you as a buyer have to sit down and sign a whole lot of documents. But uh, so, so tell us about like um, sort of that process and how it works for you and how you bring that all together and make it so seamless for us in, a, in, in an hour or less. <laughs> uh, so typically, we close the sellers. They close usually a day or two, if not the day of the buyers. T- sellers usually are required to sign before the buyer. So we've got the seller has already signed the deed to transfer the title over to the buyer, and we've gone over their figures. And then once we get all the lender's figures and numbers balanced and finalized, then we determine with the lender exactly how much money the buyer needs to bring to closing. And we usually send the closing statement directly to the agents to review and approve before they send it to the buyer, or we'll send it to the buyer directly. And then we balance with the lender on their wire. So the banks usually always wire us the funds and then once we have everything squared away, we get your 100-page loan documents. And then uh, when you come to closing, you have how much money you're bringing, and then we'll go over all those closing documents, the mortgage, the note, your tenancy selection forms, escrow accounts, how you want to take title. It's, 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 a, it's, it's a lot. And then after we do the whole signing, we get the money. Then we go back, and we have to get funding approval from the lender. They want to review all of the documents, and then we – finally get all the money in and then we just start cutting checks and getting everybody paid. So that is uh, when we start as realtors, when we start talking to you about the difference between um, uh, going to close, when things are funded mm-hmm. and uh, when they're technically closed, there's a lot of differences there, yeah, there is. and they can come into play depending on when you're taking possession of the home. Correct. Um, you mentioned something in there that I think is critical we talk about, which is the closing statement. So um, tell us about the closing statement, when it comes out in relation to close, and uh, what's specifically on it. Well, on the seller side, we can usually get the seller side done quicker than the buyer side. What usually takes a little bit longer in finalizing the seller's closing statement is getting their mortgage payoff. Sometimes it takes several days to get the mortgage payoff. And if the seller's behind on payments or in deferment, sometimes or in bankruptcy, the mortgage companies really drag their feet in getting us the payoff statements. And then the homes associations can be problematic sometimes too. But sellers, you can usually, after the commitment's out, you can get that out in probably five to seven days. You get the seller's numbers and, out. And what's on there? So you mentioned any mortgage payoffs they have. Mortgage payoff, homes association, real estate commissions, title insurance, closing fee. And then we also prorate taxes. So in Missouri, taxes are, come out at the end of the year. So right now, we're prorating taxes for the seller to give the buyer credit for the taxes for the portion of the year they've owned the property. Now, most sellers have an escrow account with their mortgage company where they've got that money in escrow with the lender to pay the taxes. So they kind of get double dinged a little bit. They get their money back later. Yeah. But so, at closing, keep in mind, you've got to pay a couple thousand in proration of taxes to the buyer. Right. So if you're, if you are, let's say you're selling your home right at the middle of the year, July 1st, whatever that is, um, you're responsible for those real estate taxes for the first half of the year. 
Now, yeah, you've been making escrow payments to your current mortgage lender to pay for that at the end of the year. However, if you sell your house mid-year, you're going to have to credit or give up, Let's, if it's a $4,000 tax burden, $2,000 of that uh, money that you thought you were collecting instead goes to the buyer to pay for the first half of the year the taxes. After the transaction's done and the mortgage company you're working with gets paid off, they then send you the excess money in the escrow. And I remember the first time that my, or it was be the second house that my wife and I bought. So we had, you know, um, all these fees, and I'm not completely understanding them, and all of this long before I was a realtor, and uh, we sign off, and I'm like, what is, why, why are we paying this extra 1700 bucks? I don't get whatever. If you tell me I have to do it, I just want to be done. And then, uh, and we were literally did not know what was going to go on. And then, like three weeks later, I get this like $1,700 check from the old mortgage company. At was, least they give you an explanation to it. It was like a party. It was like, yay, <laughs> more money that we didn't realize we were going to have. But that's something to be aware of, and, and that's what's going to be on that closing statement. Let's flip to the buyer side. Buyer side, there are a lot more numbers involved, especially if there is a mortgage involved. So again, the buyer will receive the credit for the taxes and then will prorate the Homes Association dues, but the lender fees are, there's appraisal, credit report, and then most com- most buyers will have an escrow account set up by their lender where they'll hold so many months of cushion for taxes and insurance in their, it's put in the initial closing statement and then also that's added on to their monthly statement as well so yeah so when you're paying for um, you fund the escrow account yeah the Correct. escrow accounts when you put money in those for your homeowner's insurance if and you're for your taxes loan. yes right and that's the most common scenario is getting a loan they, they're going to make you put in some extra money for a cush yes right and so you have to pay that when you close mm-hmm and that's where, and I know you wanted to get into seller paid closing costs. I do. At some point. Oh, yeah, we'll do a that next. A big chunk is the escrow account that you can use up seller paid, especially when you're closing more towards the end of the year because you're putting more money in escrow. So you've got all of these fees. So we'll just go right there. You've got all these fees um, and you're having to come to the close and you, you're like, well, hang on. I, I My lender says that I am only have to put 5% down. And so I know what that math is, right? I'm buying a $300,000 house, so that's $15,000 I have to have. But this closing statement says I have to have- 19,000. 19 or 22,000. What the heck is going on? And that's all of these things. It's the prorations of tax. It's the building the cush. And so when you're trying to figure out how my cash position, this is tough. Mm-hmm. In For some houses, even in our crazy seller's market, because it's a seller-strong market right now, there's still situations where you can ask the seller to pay some of those cash outlays for you. It's called seller-paid closing costs. It can go in a contract. Um, And so what are the kinds of things? Well, and so that's great. Well, hold it. I got 15000 You say it's 19000 So I can just say, hey, would you pay $19,000, right? Does that work? Uh, no, no. No. And if it if it's an FHA loan, they're only allowed up to 3% of the seller paid closing costs. So if you go in and negotiate and you get a whole bunch of seller paid closing costs. Better not exceed 3% or it's going to go to pot. Yes. But if your charges don't ex- don't if you reach 3% before that, you can't even use all of the seller paid closing costs, right. and then the Correct. seller gets it back. So that's Correct. on an FHA loan. We'll talk about conventional loans here in a second. But the point is, if on the contract you say you're going to pay 
$10,000 in closing costs. You're probably not going to use it all unless it's a really, really expensive house or if you're getting a VA loan and there's a VA funding fee. But most of the time, if you're dealing with 10000 seller pay closing costs, you're probably not going to use them all. And what that means is, is that you think, okay, I've offered 300000 but I'm asking the seller to pay 10000 and uh, that's great. I'll be able to reduce everything by 10000 Technically, I'm only paying two ninety for the house. If there's not enough things that fit in what can legally be done in those costs, you lose the difference. Correct. So you need to understand when you are saying, hey, I'd like to get some cash back from the seller to help out my cash position in this sale. You need to understand what that is, what it is that the maximum you can do. On an FHA loan, it's 3%. On a conventional loan, uh, what other so what are the things that can go into that and then how do we determine uh, how much money we should be asking for really that's more of a question for a mortgage company because gonna they're going to have are lender conversations because they, all um, the programs could be different yeah and they they know what the fees are and they know how much they're dealing with what exactly what fees can be used and cannot be used how much their escrow account is that's not something we as the title company really can figure out i can help you ballpark it a little bit, but really that is something the lender would so, Well, and you can't know about. what type of loan product and exactly the fee structure. I mean, that's just not something you're privy to on the title side. And even us as realtors, I constantly ask the lender before I make those kind of calls. That's why it's important that you select a really good lender because I can't tell you how many times I've picked up the phone and, hey, this is the price that we're looking at. Hey, this is the area we're looking at because they can look at the taxes, the insurance. They can look at the norms for that area and then they can get pretty close to what we need to be at as far as our offer goes to make sure that we're doing what the client wants. That's why it's important that title, lender, realtor are all fluidly communicating because this is what results in a win-win for everyone. Everyone involved. So that's that's a uh, the answer I expected. Um, I'm just going to kind of break it down by the numbers. So there's lenders' fees that can go into this. There's that escrow uh, buildup that can go into this. There is the uh, uh, tax proration, correct? That can be part of this. What about the actual? Uh, what about title fees? Yes, they can be included in the seller pay closing uh, costs. There's only the only. There's a maybe a couple lender fees that can't be used for the seller paid closing costs, but I'd say 95% of the fees you can, and points. So if you do loan discount points to bring your interest rate down, those can be included in your seller paid closing costs. Yep. Uh, and what about things like, uh, Jen, this might be a question for you, but I'm pretty sure what about things like home warranties and stuff like that that yep, are built into the Yep, those can be part of the yeah. seller paid closing costs as well. Um, just got to make sure you get them on there. Right. So important discussion to have with your realtor uh, who is going to coordinate with your title company and with your lender and say, if we're going to ask for seller paid closing costs, let's make sure we're asking for an amount that we can actually attain. Yes. And I don't want to set our listeners up for unrealistic expectation. Right now, seller paid closing costs are not really the norm per se, I wouldn't think, um, because you've got a strong seller's market. So asking you know your seller to pay those, you're really going to have to be lucrative well, with your price. And if you do ask for seller paid closing costs, a lot of the time the seller's going to come back and say they'll pay them, but they're going to increase the sales price yeah, that's what I'm by saying. that amount. So yeah. right. it comes up kind of a wash. Yeah. Well, I mean, it certainly Unless does. Unless you don't have money to yeah, bring to It's closing. a cash flow issue for most of you know, they Correct. want to keep their cash for improvements or they yes. just don't have enough cash uh, to, to do all of that. Um, so now let's circle back. We talked about, and I said I'd circle back to this. Um, we talked about those um, 
the statements that you're getting that are talking about all of the the stuff, the legalese that could be wrong with all of the encumbrances and everything, these commitments. And um, I said it's really important that your realtor have a good relationship with the title company. Uh, and so I can't tell you, uh, anybody who's listening, how many times Amber has had to field my calls and emails over the years where I'm like, I don't what is this? And, and how do we fix it? Uh, or, or what do I need to get? Like we've had a situation where um, uh, marital status was not uh, done and, and that became an issue because there was a divorce and we needed to find out if the um, uh, the, unma- the, <laughs> the non-deeded person had claim. And so um, this all kind of goes around to a conversation with is as a buyer or seller, can I slash should I um, be um, choosing my own title company? You absolutely have the right, but most most the general public doesn't really not only not know what a title company is, they don't know who to use. So you, definitely I would have your realtor give you a referral on what one to use, but definitely I'd like the, the bigger companies and who the underwriter is because a title company is really – backed by their underwriter. That's who's issuing the policy and will ensure any transactions. Your local agents are the ones that work through all the issues and have to make sure they meet all those requirements. But definitely, I would just say the referral from your agent. If your agent's been around, they've done several closings, they know who's going to respond to their emails and who's going to work to get any issues resolved. I I realize that uh, I'm asking you to speak for the title industry in our area as a whole, which is probably unfair. Um, And but Jen, you can jump into this as well, because we've all had experience with a lot of different title companies. Are the fee structures between title companies wildly different? Do we find that? No, they're all we're all pretty competitive. They try to keep their fees really similar. They're based off of price, right? So fees are based off of buy or sell price. And they are all pretty similar. Um, Your level of service with title company, I think, can vary greatly, which is why we appreciate Amber and the service that she offers, because she's the face behind that closing with our clients. And so that relationship with that person is important because they're a reflection of you. And so you want that last piece of closing to be a good one. Yeah, because it's usually been a really long journey. So by the time you get to the table, you've been... You want a smiling, beautiful face like Amber. <laughs> so you, you can you can vet your own title company if you want, and you can. You and, absolutely can. Yeah, and, I mean, and, you can call and shop around for fees. You can look up reviews online and get other people's opinions on them. But my opinion, and I think what we've just said is, is the fees don't vary enough that it, that it's worth shopping for those. What you need to be shopping for are things that. There's a good chance you're not going to be able to vet very well. Like, um, how well are they communicating? Um, did if, they find everything? Did, did they, they miss something? Right. What happened here? What, what do you mean I ended up and, with a clouded title? I've even had, I'll, I'll say this, I will not name the title company, but a title company actually recorded improperly a deed against one of my properties. And I went to refinance the property and I found out that there was an improper recording on my deed by another title company. Luckily, I knew somebody there. It's not the one Amber works for, but I can tell you that it was about a six-month process to get that off of my title. It was, and it made me miss interest rate opportunity. Um, you know, could have could have theoretically been a lawsuit if I was a sue happy person. Um, I'm not, luckily, but these are the kinds of things that can happen when you use somebody who's willy nilly. And an out of state 
title company. So sometimes these there's national companies. So they'll some somebody from New York will just try and ensure these local transactions, like the big foreclosures, Bank of America. They were having these title companies do it. So they're not as familiar with the area, the local market, and the legal description. So they're not double checking. They're not as familiar as your local title company is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. And so unless you somehow have intimate knowledge of uh, how well they close, um, how well they uh, assist with any title clouds that need to be corrected, uh, and how well they're communicating with your realtor, I, this is one of the things, this is why it's important that you pick a great realtor, because it's one of the things you're going to rely on them to make sure that they're bringing you to a good title company and a good closer. And they've been around the block, and they've closed with, they usually have closed with several different title companies, because you can't always just go to whatever company you want. Sometimes you're forced to use right. a different title company, so they do have the experience of other companies. So if maybe you have heard bad things about one they'll probably have a backup and say, well, you know, I did have some good experiences with this company or mm -hmm. they've been over backwards to help me take care of an issue. Yep. Yeah, I can't. I mean, I, uh, um, you know, I think it's pretty obvious that my closer of choice is sitting right here in front of me <laughs> with Amber at and Alliance. And we've been friends for a long time. <laughs> yeah, we but, have. <laughs> but I've closed with, right, I've, I've two-timed on you, right? I've closed with <laughs> other, I know. <laughs> I've, and, uh, and I've had some great experiences. So I've been lucky enough not yes. to have any terrible experiences but anything, uh, and uh, like I say, you're you're my all my complicated ones. Unfortunately, you've got. <laughs> unfortunately, uh, I've had lots of terrible experiences with other companies in right. 23 years, but I won't name them here. Right. <laughs> so so make sure that your realtor is recommending a good title company. Ask them questions about it. Say why do you why are you recommending this, etc. Uh, so that's perfectly fine. And if you really feel the need to go out and vet your own title company, you could. Uh, and instruct your realtor to use it, um, and, and they probably will. Uh, they'll just say, hey, look, that's an unknown to me or whatever it is. Um, this has been fantastic. I think title companies are so mysterious, right, uh, to the average buyer and seller, and all they know is that they show up and they sign a stack of papers. Yeah, there's a lot more mysterious, to it than that. Mysterious, Amber, you're mysterious. <laughs> so, so before, I'm going to ask you our end of uh, podcast question here in a minute, but I do want to point out uh, to everyone that there is a massive stack of papers, particularly if there's a loan involved. If it's a cash deal, it could be a very small stack, but... Um, you don't have time when you show up to read it all. And I know there are people out there who go like, if I'm signing legal documents, I am reading And them. we are more than happy to provide those documents to you prior to closing so you can take your sweet time That's to right. read them at home. That's but I mean, when you come to closing, we do go over every document. But I'm giving you the outline, the gist of the document. You're welcome to ask questions. But most of these documents are boilerplated. Everybody that goes in to buy a house, the majority... Right. The numbers are different. The so, name's different. Yeah, you, and the thing is with a loan, if you say, I don't want to sign this or I want it changed, unfortunately, that means you're probably not going to get the house. Right. Well, you're certainly not going to get the house that day. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, just depending on the nature of the market and why you do that. So if you feel like that's important, uh, and again, your realtor should be telling you this beforehand, but if you feel like that's important, Get the documents early. Read through them. Get your questions. Go to the lender if it's a loan document, if they're available. Uh, call your uh, real estate agent. Get a lawyer involved if that's what you need to do uh, because uh, none of us are lawyers. And so if you need legal advice, that's what you need to do. Um, but Amber's right. They do, she does, and, and most closers do give great explanations of what you're signing at the time. 
And so this this sort of human explanations as opposed to legalese is my yes. favorite word. So, but be prepared for that. Um, but now we're coming to the end of our time. So, and I can't imagine how many millions of stories you have of crazy things that you've seen on titles and whatnot. But give us uh, give us the craziest one you can think of. Unfortunately, most of my crazy stories are usually bad ones. When they're, when it's crazy, it's really never anything good. I, th- I think that's that's generally it. I think <laughs> that's pretty much the theme I, right, of the craziest thing in real estate. Yeah, the, the dead body. Dead body I mean, would be the, the craziest. Overflowing one we have. poop toilet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, and most you know. of, most of the craziest ones have to do with death. Someone dying the, the day before closing. A seller passed away the day before. Oh so goodness. the next morning he it was late to closing. So we were where where's the client? The agent calls us like he passed away. But then about thirty minutes later, his sister comes by, and she's here to sell to sign sign the paperwork for him. So she thought we didn't know he had died, and she was coming in to see if she could just go take him to have him sign him real quick. <laughs> so yeah, the m- major problems are just when people pass and there's not proper hold the front planning. door. The chick came in like you didn't know he was dead and tried to say like, hey. He's just sitting out in the car. Can I just go run the... What kind of deceitful human being tries to do that when they know the person's dead? Oh, lots of things. Oh, I had this one deal that's happened recently. There's a boyfriend-girlfriend, right? Well, one... We'll just say one of them owned the house. Right. Well, then the... The significant other was like, "Why don't you add me to title? Let's let's just do a quick claim deed. Put me on title with you." Uh, situation so I've seen many times. Actually, they do that and put your boyfriend girlfriend on title with you. Turns out, oh, guess who's got a whole bunch of federal liens against him? Like twenty thousand dollars worth of federal judgment liens. Whoops! So she goes to refinance, sell the house. She's paying off his debt with her equity. Oh, because she he she added <laughs> the other person to title. And I mean, as soon as you do that, you are stuck with getting that paid. So, yeah. so you're saying before you do that, you should run a credit report on this you person? You should absolutely <laughs> run a credit report hey, babe, on anybody. I'd love to add you to title, but I'm going to need a copy of your credit just, report, sweetheart. Honestly, I wouldn't add anybody to title. Even your children. A lot of parents want to add their kid to title, but right. if something happens and you, you want to sell your house, but you're Junior's got a whole bunch of credit cards, right. you know, then yeah. you get Junior can just be TOD. Yeah, TOD is Junior one of the best ways to Transfer on death is what Yes, beneficiary is. deeds. But yeah, absolutely. Amber, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolutely fantastic time. I really appreciate your time and and, and overall your knowledge that you've shared with me in my four years in real estate. It's so never, the best in the business. It's never ending. I will say there is so much out there you don't, you're, I mean, where you learn something new every day in this industry. Yes, you do. All right, everybody, another great episode from Get Real KC. We hope you really enjoyed it. Until next time. You have been listening to Get Real KC with Eric Jurgensen and Jen Justice. For more information or to contact our hosts, visit us at dreamhomesbygen.com where you can find more episodes exploring real estate as it matters to you.